1: Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling, in association with Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. I'm Graham Wilgos, and Brad, stage 13 of the Tour de France was another cracker. One of the
2: best stages of the race, I thought. It was a classic Tour de France stage. Um, right from the start, um, everyone trying to get in the brake, um, everyone was trying to put riders up the road. Um, to the point where Sepp Kuss had to try and monitor things and, and was at one time sort of going across with them. Um, Sierkov was in the break from Ineos, we had guys trying to jump across to the break, someone who was on our show the other day in Hugh Carthy, Philippe was there, Pino was trying to get in there, um, a big group reforming at the front, and then Ineos trying to put pressure on Jumbo by Carapace making a, a small move, or up in the tempo certainly, Dumoulin bringing him back with ease, or as it appeared on the TV, and then... Um, The cracking of Burnell, I think, was the main story of the day. Uh, Not not cracking in the sense that he lost everything. He's still third on GC and not that far behind, really, in monetary terms, you know, a minute or so. But it was the first time we really saw the gaps opening up and Primoz, in the last 100 metres, even proving that he is the strongest man in this race. By Podjokar was really struggling to keep that will, even though he did. But those two now have clear distance over the rest. And... um, And then in the front for the stage win, you know, two borers going against Martinez and um, Martinez winning the stage um, in brilliant style. And I think that was just reward for EF today. I thought they rode a fantastic race considering Hugh Carthy made that effort today for EF. And there was a moment in the commentary booth where Brian or Rob were um, saying that um, maybe these two should give up now, this trying to go across, you know, and they didn't, they got across. Hugh went off the front again, didn't he? And Martinez gets the staging in. So persistency, when other people thought that there was a silly thing, what they, they were doing, they, they persisted and they got the stage win. That was brilliant for them.
1: I mean, so to pick a, a few points apart from the, the teams today, so EF and Bora played it brilliantly. Um, and, and obviously Martinez brought it home for education first. Ineos looked very strong at the start of the day. I mean, it was a frenetic start. Ineos riding on the front, which was good to see. And we're sort of thinking at that point, all right, it's, it's sort of game on here in terms of the GC.
2: Yeah, I mean, they, they had to mark their authority. I was trying to work out whether Burnell did that, you know, and Burnell made that call, you know, because normally a leader would do that and say, come on, let's start. But I reckon the way Ineos is run and stuff like that, that would have been a tactic of the day from early on. So they just set that in the bus. And when Ineos tend to make a plan, they never tend to, to waver from it. So they would have decided to take the riding up at that point in the bus in the morning, whoever the, makes the calls. yeah. And Burnell would have gone along with that, you know, because, you know, the way he sort of, his legs went in the end there, normally you would have called that back during the stage. But Burnell not being that vocal and things like that, he would have trusted his um, team decision makers. And so they stuck to the plan. You know, they executed the plan and in the end Burnell didn't have it. So you know, you have to say that that was still the right move to make because it's still about trying to stamp your authority. in. And if Bernal's not to win this race, it's not going to be without trying. So to be fair to him, you know, they tried, it didn't work, but he'll be back in the next week. I think he's going to get, have better days in this Tour de France, but but
1: Prima's Roglic again today. Well, there's, there's plenty more climbing to come for Bernal to, to get that time back. So you said it's a minute or so. He's, he's sorry, one second shy of a minute on GC. We've, I mean, we talked about Ineos there. For Roglic, you saw Sepkus and Tom Dumoulin really putting in a shift and really marshalling the rest of the peloton today and delivering him to a point where he could take it up. And now he's got the lead on, he's, he's, you know, he's got a substantial lead at this point of the race on GC. Yeah, I
2: mean, I wouldn't say it's substantial to the degree where he's got it in the bag, but let's not forget Poradchar won the time trial the national championships, beating Primoz. So this time next Friday, they're going to be getting ready for the last time trial of the Tour de France tomorrow, in a week's time, of course, at the Planche de Belfi. So take out of that Paris, which is a stage, but it's not really a stage. You know, it's a, it's a, a ceremony and um, a sprint finish. We've got seven days racing left, six take out the rest day. So there's six stages left in this Tour de France now for them guys to make a difference, really. So time's running out, really. And, you know, with every day that goes past, Primoz is a day closer to that time trial.
1: I think, as it stands, what's the gap over... Pogacar, Pogacar is 44 seconds. Yeah. Egan Bernal is then 59 seconds. And Rigoberto Aran has crept up, so it's been a very good day for, uh, for EF. He's on one minute and ten mm. on GC.
2: So 44 seconds, if it was to stay like that till the Planche de Belfi, is by no means a done deal. You know, and a bad day up there, and you could lose... He could easily lose that to Pogaccio. Um, it, it, it's going to be a cracking last week. Um, you know, we'll, I can't see Primoz fading that much. I mean, he's just in such good shape, such good experience. He won the Vuelta last year. I don't think there's any question mark. If anything, Pogaccio could falter a little bit. Um, but I don't think Burnell's done yet. And this time last year, Burnell was still two minutes and 40-odd seconds behind Yellow Jersey and Alaphilippe. Mm. Um, and he was over a minute and 40 or a minute and 30
1: still down behind Geraint Thomas this time last year. So it's not a done deal. There's plenty of climbing to come. As we said, two races or three races, if you count the uh, the Gruppetto um, coming in within the time limit today. So the GC race, um, first of all, the race to the line. Here's how Carlton Kirby called it for us on Eurosport. Hail it's going to take on the
2: drive for the line. It's got to happen any moment. You don't go too early. And Kemner goes right down, and Danny Martinez can't respond. Kemner goes over to the other side of the road. And indeed Martinez gets on his wheel, does he? Kemner keeps grinding it home. 100 metres he's got. This is going to hurt all the way to the line. Kemner's still there. Martinez comes out, takes the wind. Oh, Martinez has gone by him. Kemner's got nothing left here. Phenomenal battle at the line. And it's going to be Danny Martinez at the line. Wonderful start. Kemner rolls over about ten bike lengths in, a, in the last fifteen meters.
1: So, Brad, a couple more words on Danny Martinez. EF, um, of course, your old boss, Jonathan Vortes. Um, I mean, very quietly, or not so quietly now. They're having a very good Tour de France. They're having a fantastic tour, and uh,
2: they deserve it. You know, they had a bit of diff- bad luck in the first week. You know, they had a few crashes and things, didn't they? They're a great team. Um, Charlie Baguette is at the helm as well who's got a very great cycling mind, great tactician, um, and they deserve it, you know. And, and today, I thought they they deserved everything they got today with Hugh Carthy doing what he did to go across that gap. Um, and they made the race, and they took the risks, and they, they missed the first move, but they went over it. Um, and then even in the final, you know, they got tried to get outsmarted by the two Bora guys, and it was just brilliant to see... The underdog. You always like to see the underdog in a, in a, in an outnumbered situation win, um,
1: and and it, it was uh, it was brilliant to watch. Mm. So Lenny Kamner coming in second for Bora and Max Shackman, who um, of course broke his collarbone in a collision with a driver on the road at Lombardia uh, only a, a few weeks ago.
2: Yeah, and he was right up there, wasn't he? he? Looked like he was could have won the stage at one point, but um, it wasn't to be, and he got reeled in. By Martinez doing the bulk of the work. Alaphilippe, yet again in the breakaway. He's been in the break every day, hasn't he? (sighs) Uh,
1: He's he's doing his best to animate it every time you you turn on your television.
2: He's always sort of... (sighs) Kind of seems to be one step behind the game. You know, Alaphilippe in that break today, you'd expect him to be in that front again when it went. And he wasn't. So Sean said in the post-show today that he thinks he's just not in the form he was in last year. You know, maybe you could say that.
1: It's almost like he's on automatic. It's sort of like, well, this is what I do, so I'm going to animate yeah. the race even if I don't feel like I've got the gas. Because he must know he doesn't have the gas Like on a day like today, having, having um, his legs having failed him yesterday.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, but he's still... That's Julien Alaphilippe, isn't it? And um, he's had a strange race in some ways. I know he's won that stage, but to attack when he had yellow... To attack when he had yellow and then drop back 18 minutes... Um, and we suspected, in order so he could have, be up the attack most days and got the road which he's done, but he's not had that final third he's always lacked in the final third to, to get another stage win um and he's he's lacked it with with riders that have sort of outpowered them really now played you know were stronger than them, particularly today because mm. once the road goes uphill, you know there's no hiding uh, the other day with um mark hershey who that was a class win. Um, it really was um, but he's still there and you know people want to see the biggest riders in the field, in the field up on the front there and Alaphilippe is that Pierre Roland I've <laughs> been surprised by it. She, so long had gone by the last year I always forgot Pierre was still professional I thought he'd retired
1: he came in fifth today
2: and he was up the road yesterday um, and it was really nice to see him back Pierre he's you know won stage in the Tour in the past so you think he won that stage in 2012 I'm sure he won to La Truissière when I met, we went up there um,
1: so it was great to see him back. It was, the, it was the hardest alpine stage it was billed as at the time.
2: Yes, it was. I think we had 5,000 metres of climbing, you know, 100 odd kilometres. 112 or something, I think it was.
1: it was. Condensed, to say the least.
2: Yeah. What, in 2012? Yeah. Yeah, and don't forget, I won the tour
1: and it was an easy tour that year. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we talked about Dumoulin and Sepp Kuss, and of course... Um, in previous podcasts, Wout Van Aert being so important to Roglic. I, I think I mentioned before that Pogacar has been an extra ally to him, the two Slovenians. I mean, they're one and two on GC. But did we see that again today? I mean, it was, it was Pogacar who, who blew, uh, blew that group of favourites apart on the final climb by attacking first, and he took Roglic with him. Do you, yeah. do you get the feeling that they're kind of working together at the moment? No, 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 not working together. I just think Primoz realises his strengths, and he
2: doesn't want to let him get too far. It's in both their interests to work together because they're clearly the two strongest riders in the race when it goes uphill. But if, if Pogacar attacks, then you're going to go with him. Um, so Primoz has to do that. Um, and once they're there, then, yeah, it's in their interest to work together. But they're, they're great friends, it looks like. They have great respect for each other. Um, they're the countrymen. It bodes the question, I'm sure in a week's time, Pogacar finishing second in the Tour de France, if it remains as it is, that's not to say he doesn't want to win it. I think if you'd have given him that at the start of this race, he'd have took it. So it's that funny thing of kind of working with Primoz because at worst, I'm going to finish second. You know, you, you know Stefan Kreuzberg did it last year. In, once he was third, he wasn't going to attack and risk trying to push the envelope out to win the Tour and lose everything because it becomes a game of, well, do I, do I secure a podium or do I risk trying to win the race and do mm. better? Um, and that's what happens into the final week. You get guys protecting their own GC positions rather than, because that will do them, because it was, normally it's above their expectations of what they expected going into the race. I mean, a bit like in 2009 when I was flying fourth or fifth or fourth, you know, on the Von 2, it was about securing that spot at that time. I didn't really think, unless it came to the final about attacking over the top to try and move on to the point to beat Armstrong, because I almost felt that that was my place and maybe that's not that's a defeatist attitude or what I don't know but at that point it wasn't about trying to beat Contador and Schleck because I considered them better than me and a lot of riders are like that a lot of riders will look up at Primoz and think maybe Bogachan, you know can I realistically beat him um, whereas lots of other riders Nibali and that they'll never settle for the position they're in they'll rather lose everything and attack to win it's win at all costs or nothing and that separates a lot of the riders, that winning mentality.
1: I mean, Pogacar has, has hauled... He lost time um, last week, and he's hauled that back this week. Another man who looks strong today, Richie Porte, has hauled um, some time back. Yeah. He was fighting doggedly to stay in touch uh, with, with Pogacar and, and Roglic. His reward is that he's back in the top 10 on GC. That was brilliant to see from Richie. Um, you know, he's, he's got better this race.
2: And it's nice reward, really. I think he can climb high now in this last week. This last week's made for Richie. That'll give him a lot of confidence. And he's a lovely guy. He's just had his second child during the race. Mm. And it'll be great to see him move up further. Um, yeah, and he's obviously in the top 10. And it's, so he's one minute and seven behind a podium spot as it stands. Now, the way, the devastation on that last climb today between those GC guys, Richie Porter's moving forward, other people are moving backwards. It is not beyond. Richie that he could climb onto the podium in this tour and that must be his goal now the way the last week is the way his legs are coming through now Richie um, the, the last time trial Richie's a great time trialist up there it's feasible that he could get onto the podium in this tour and that would be great reward for him with the bad luck he's had the last few years
1: um, A word on Dave Browsford because he's not used to his team having to play catch up is he? How will Ineos be approaching the race from here wow. you said earlier that, you know they've got a plan they stick to it we saw them uh, what we assume uh, would have been their plan sticking to, to going hard from, from the off today now that Bernal is, is not necessarily where he would have wanted to be how does he approach it? Well he's not where he wants to be but he's still just a
2: minute off you know next two days we've got a rest day and then you know he'll come he might come round you know you have bad days in the Tour de France if this is his one bad day you know let's not write him off just yet he could have a great last week and let's not forget how far he came back last year I mean that that time trial last year he lost a packet in the time trial last year and that was rare for him Burnell is by no means done they'll recalibrate replan for next week and we could see Burnell lighting the race up next week in the high mountains because I think
1: that's where his strengths are going to lie all right we'll be back with more from the Bradley Wiggins show right after this Laka's collective cover is made especially for cyclists, for life on and off your bike. Lacca has flipped outdated traditional insurance on its head, with no more fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Plus, 80% of your money goes straight back into the collective, fixing, replacing and helping. And the other 20% keeps their wheels spinning. It's as simple as that. And when things go bad, lacquer has got your back. Claims are handled by experts and usually agreed within a day, with no depreciation or excess. They've ditched annual contracts locking you in. With lacquer, if you want to leave, you can, anytime. Head over to www.lacker.co where new customers can get £10 credit by signing up today with the discount code WIGGINS. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, sponsored by LACA Bicycle Insurance. Brad, a good day for Team Ineos, not at the Tour, but at Torino Adriatico, Stage 5, won by Simon Yates, second on the day, 35 seconds behind, Geraint Thomas, which puts him third on GC. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, that was,
2: um, again, two riders we'd have loved to see seen at the Tour here, wouldn't we, Simon and Geraint? Um, obviously, it's Torino. They haven't been racing as long as... as um we have here at the Tour de France, but I mean that bodes well for, for the Giro in terms of spectator viewing for us because Simon's got unfinished business there at the Giro. Um, he looks to be in great form. But Garaint, you know, I think on a day where Bernal cracks in the Tour, what would that have meant for Garaint had he was been here? Mm. And also it's become apparent that, that Garaint was part of the decision of not coming here for reasons other than not going well enough when clearly he is. So it's too late now, we'll never know. But Geraint, for the Giro, as I said the other day in the podcast, um, I think he's got a great chance. And anything he sets his mind to, I
1: believe he can do. It feels like Thomas is coming into form, just as Banal's form, we're, we're questioning. But that's bike racing.
2: I think we're blessed with the fact that we can have both these races
1: on at the same time. Um, Chris Froome, unfortunately, suffered a crash, didn't he? Froome lost a lot of time today. However, another Brit, James Knox high up there on GC, only one minute and 21 seconds behind in sixth. So three Brits in the top seven yeah. overall. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And um, James, you know, he's gone from strength to strength from his um, his ride in the Walter last year. He's very impressive uh, sort of throughout last season. I mean, the, the He Walter was, yeah, was where he really particularly at
2: the, the Walter, we followed him closely at the Walter last year and, you know, his trials and tribulations there, his ups and downs and, and um, he's really, you know, growing every year really and, and becoming the, the rider everyone knew he was. So... It's great to see, really, and I think he's, he's, he's set for a fantastic Giro also. You know, we're a top 10 finish there. I mean, we could have three or four
1: Brits in the top 10 at the Giro. Three, Yeah, three in the top 10 would be uh, would be something to shout about. Well, you can catch Toronto andreasco highlights each day on Eurosport after the day's Tour de France stage until Monday. Brad, one more thing on the Tour before we, we, we move it on. Um, so we've, we've seen Primoz Roglic win a stage. He's, as we know, favourite for the yellow jersey, Do you nowadays have to win a stage in order to do the yellow jersey justice?
2: Um, Not necessarily. Um, But I think it's inevitable if you do win the Tour de France that you will pick up a stage somewhere there because you're racing in the front most days. The reason you're in the jersey is because you're in the front and it's, it's very rarely that the tour winner doesn't win a stage, but it does happen. But is it necessary to? No, I don't think it is. I think it's more of a, a, a mark of how
1: dominant you've been or how dominant your team is. So, so thinking back to 2012, I mean, given that you were the favourite for the time trials, was there pressure on you to win a stage as well as take the overall, or was it just part of the process? Um, only if it
2: worked out that way. I mean, the time trials, what I expected to win anyway, I was unbeaten that year in the time trials. But so I guess... It would have been nice to win a road stage in the tour, but it wasn't, not at the detriment or not at the risk of doing
1: damage to the, to the, to the GC. Because we, we've rarely seen a team so dominant in terms of, in terms of stage wins since that 2012 tour with, with you and Cav and Froome on La Planche de Belfie.
2: Yeah, yeah. But well we had riders in every department. There. I mean, I remember a stage into two, oh, I was we were down on the south coast somewhere and I led out um, we went up the very steep climb in the middle of the race and down there was crosswinds and then I led Egvald Bursenhagen because we were trying to get him a stage win as well because he'd done so much work for myself and Cav, and Cav had been dropped because we went over this climb and I th- I tried to help Bursenhagen but I thought this would be a great reward for him so we were getting a bit greedy actually and um, Luis Leon Sanchez had had a go at me on Twitter that day saying that they're just getting too greedy now you know, Wiggins needs to respect the race more and not do lead outs for his teammate. Because <laughs> I came around the last bend 200 metres to go leading out Edvald Bursonog. And I think um, Greipel won the stage that day and Eddie was second or third. But
1: it was my way of trying to repay back Eddie to give mm. him a stage win. Did they say anything? anyone say anything to you in person in the peloton? Or no. was it all just on... I mean, always all, on Twitter. All, it? all the bluster on Twitter. But it was all right. I mean. um, another Brit doing uh, brilliantly abroad, Lizzie Dignan. Uh, yes. And her Trek Segafredo team. So... Today was also uh, an embarrassment of riches for, in terms of racing, the first stage of the Giro Rosa. So mm. a 16.8-kilometre team time trial won by Lizzie's team. Uh, Trek Segafredo, as I said, that puts Elisa Longa Borghini in the overall lead. Lizzie Degnan continues to have an outstanding season uh, after taking Plouet and La Course.
2: Yeah, and uh, she's got a real chance of winning this race now. Um, she's clearly in the form of her life. I would say the form of her life because she's... Not only back to where she was before having a baby, she's, if not better, mentally stronger athlete, I think. She's in a a much better place. She's got perspective now on her life, which is enabling her to perform at a higher level. Her confidence. I watched the interview she did with um, Orla Shenawi earlier, and she she just looks so relaxed. She was talking about the relationship she has with Longo Borghini, is it, in her team? Yep. And how telepathic that relationship is. Um, but we've been blessed with British talent that have won races the last few weeks. I mean, more than we expected, actually. We almost can't keep up with it, you know, with Tom Pidcock winning the Baby Giro, um, G and Simon Yates today, Adam Yates at the start of this tour, um, uh, Lizzie winning La Course. Um, it's a great time for British cycling.
1: Yeah, look a little bit further than the tour, and there, there is, uh, there's, there's plenty for, for Britain. Um, you've teased it already. We'll play it in. Here's a Shenowe's interview with Lizzie Diagnan, as you might have heard it, on the breakaway on Eurosport Player and the GCN race pass earlier today.
0: Lizzie, here we are. You're about to embark on the Giro Rosa. How do you feel?
3: I feel really excited, yeah. I feel really fresh and ready to go. It's been uh, nice to have kind of an easy week running into a stage race. It's, it's been a while since we've had the opportunity to really rest and you know get ready for a stage race. The
0: course is a little bit different this year to what we've seen in the last few years anyway. It's a day shorter, obviously, but we don't have those long um, alpine slogs. It's a bit punchier, it's a bit more
3: aggressive. How does that suit you? I think it suits our team really well. I think it will really come down to tactics this year. Um, I mean, okay, we don't have any famous coal finishes, mountain top finishes, but I think there's still plenty of climbing. Every race has still got a lot of elevation. So that culminative effect of climbing will definitely catch up. And those last stages are really hilly. So um, I still think it's a climber's race.
0: You must be feeling pretty confident. The the teamwork that you have established and demonstrated with Elisa Longoborghini in particular, but I'm guessing as well with you know the race directors back in the car, it feels like something that is that has moved into a new level
3: of late, has it? It's- Definitely one of the best teams I've ever been in, in terms of our physical ability, but also just getting on with each other. It's just a really nice place to be. And I think that uh, translates to the way we ride as a team. Tell me about that
0: almost telepathic relationship that you seem to have developed with Alisa longabor It's fascinating to see from the outside. How does it feel on in the inside?
3: It's great. It's... Um not something you can really manufacture that kind of feeling with another rider i think you either have it or you don't and luckily me and elisa seem to have really clicked on and off the bike and um i think our styles also really complement each other obviously i'm a little bit punchier than she is and she's more of a, uh, a climber and a time trial specialist than i would be so coming into a final together we're really able to play off each other and so far i've been the one that's benefited obviously with the two wins but i think uh, you know, hopefully I'll be able to repay her in the next couple of races.
0: Lizzie, you've won the biggest bike races of them all. Um, You took La Course recently, which has a huge platform, if nothing else. How special a win was that for you?
3: Really special and, again, just super special because of the teamwork that went into it Um, and also the fact that it was on TV live. Everybody saw uh, how strong Trek Segafredo was. To finish off a race like that against Mariana Voss in such a tight finish. Yeah, it was it was special. And it was close to home for me. And, and like you say, everyone understands the Tour de France. Um, when you say it to a person off the street, they, they know what the Tour de France is. And uh, to have a kind of slice of that platform for the women, I think was really good. It's an amazing time to be a professional female cyclist. I think we're on the cusp of some really great things. Definitely during my career, I've seen huge uh, development and progression in the sport. And we're at a time now where um, It's kind of a tipping point and something like the Tour de France is obviously the pinnacle of cycling in general. So to be able to have a women's one um, would be phenomenal, yeah.
1: Brad, before we go, stage 14 tomorrow, Clermont-Ferrand to Lyon, 190 kilometres, a lumpy old day, a lot of smaller climbs. It looks like being another day that will have quite a bearing on the GC.
2: Yes. um, And also we did not mention earlier, did we, but... um Bardet crashed today, Quintana, didn't they?
1: Um, Bardet and Quintana crashed hard. Um, and that, that looks like the end for France's yeah. GC hopes for another year. Bardet
2: didn't look good after that, did he? No. Um, there was some talk of potential concussion as well. Um, comms, they were talking about it on comms. I mean, it's a shame, but this is what the Tour de France is about. And you never, it's never over till it's over. And, um, but tomorrow's another tough day. And everyone's going to have to recalibrate, regroup. And and get on with it and
1: the tour never stops, you know, it always moves on to the next day and it leaves it doesn't wait for anyone. On concussion very briefly, have you ever had a whack on the head and, and continued racing and thought, hold on a sec, I'm not all quite right here. Um yeah, no, not not, not so much carried on racing.
2: I think whenever I crashed and had serious head injury it was probably game over. But some would say I've never been the same since. <laughs> um, my mind works in mysterious ways
1: that brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins show by Eurosport thank you to our sponsor Lacquer bicycle insurance Brad thank you thank you we can follow you on social media at uh, Sir Wiggo Sir Wigger. I should also add that you can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK plus you can find us on Instagram and Facebook thank you too to our producer Pete Burton uh, who you can see eating his lunch earlier today on Brad's Instagram stories And finally, from me, Graham Wilgoss, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, share your thoughts, and rate us wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...